This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. We're here today with Wharton Legal Studies and Business Ethics Professor Amy Seppenwall to talk about the Supreme Court's decision this week in the Hobby Lobby case. Amy, thanks for being with us today. Sure. So what was your, could you tell us a little bit about what your reaction was to the court's decision yesterday? I wasn't terribly surprised because I think the doctrine compelled the outcome. I think that given the law as it stands, um, the uh, court had to decide as it did. Um, uh, and I wasn't particularly surprised that Justice Alito had written the opinion on behalf of the majority. Um, He seems to be the justice who uh, is most inclined to take on questions that have moral dimensions. And what would you say, I mean, in terms of either the opinion or the dissent, what do you think are kind of the notable points that were made in either of those or both of those? So one of them, and I think this is of special relevance to um, your readers or listeners, um, uh, goes to the extension of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act to for-profit corporations. So this was the first case that allowed that for-profit corporations could claim rights of religious free exercise under this statute, the um, Religious uh, Freedom Restoration Act, or RIFRA for short. Um, and uh, I think, um, you know, that's a very uh, important move. Um, and uh, to my mind, it's not an untoward move. Um, the dissent takes the majority to task for treating for-profit corporations in the same way that it would treat uh, not-for-profit religious organizations, like, for example, a religious university. Um, The dissent thinks that once you go into the world of profit-making, that's really your essential purpose, and it doesn't make sense to view the for-profit corporate entity as the kind of entity that has any kind of religious interests. But that's a very cynical take on what corporations are about, and it's certainly not the kind of take to which I would subscribe. Um, And uh, it's a potentially dangerous uh, take insofar as it would seem to license corporations to do nothing but pursue profits. Um, uh, And in point of fact, uh, many corporations do things other than uh, simply pursue profits. Uh, Many of them are engaged in philanthropy. Many of them have the kind of... um, commitments that propel them to want to safeguard the environment or take care of their workers, um, and that's all to the good. And if we're going to celebrate those aspects of the corporation, then I think it's important to also uh, recognize that some of the convictions that a corporation might have are religiously motivated and within limits to um, accommodate those convictions. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you expect to be, or do you expect there to be, ripple effects from this decision? Um, so I think, you know, a number of corporations, for-profit corporations, probably will seek an exemption from some or all of the contraceptive mandate. I think it becomes incumbent upon the federal government to provide alternative ways for women to get the contraceptive coverage that they wouldn't get if their corporation receives an exemption. Um, 
it may be that corporations will seek religious exemptions from other parts of the Affordable Care Act. Uh, the dissent raises a potential parade of horribles, though, so, um, religions that prohibit the use of vaccinations, um, uh, where a corporate owner uh, is an adherent of that religion, that uh, corporation might seek an exemption from health coverage for vaccinations. Um, or blood transfusions, um, but uh, if the court is careful in its application of Hobby Lobby, and I very much hope that it will be, um, it will treat each of those on a case-by-case basis. So the fact that Hobby Lobby received an exemption from the uh, contraceptive mandate won't automatically entail that the corporation whose owners are religious and object to blood transfusions or object to vaccinations um, automatically receive an exemption from having their health insurance plans cover those items. So, yeah, I mean, I guess that seems, it seems to be that people who were dismayed by this decision, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about, I guess, that list of horribles coming to pass. But it sounds like what you're saying is it's not, is that the, the case doesn't necessarily say that any of those things are now fair game. Could you explain that a little bit? Sure. So the case applies a three-part test. Um, The first part of the test requires that the person who's raising the um, religious objection show that the rule or law in question imposes a a substantial burden on them in virtue of their religious commitments. And then if they can establish that the rule or law does impose a substantial burden, um, the court looks to what interest the government had in passing the rule or law, um, and that interest has to be compelling. Um, and if it is compelling, the next question is, has the government identified um, a way of serving that interest that imposes the least um, uh, burden, the lowest burden on uh the religious believer. So even though the rule or law conflicts with the believer's belief, um, so long as it does so in the least restrictive way, um, the law will be upheld. So take the case of blood transfusions, for example. Suppose, again, an owner objects to blood transfusions on religious grounds and doesn't want the health care package that he or she offers to include coverage for blood transfusions. <laughs> It's probably the case that just in virtue of the religious belief um, following from Hobby Lobby, the owner will succeed in establishing that uh, the rule requiring that the insurance include coverage for blood transfusions constitutes a substantial burden. So that prong of the test to be satisfied. At the same time, surely the government has a compelling interest in ensuring that people who get health insurance have coverage for blood transfusions. These are life-saving in many instances. Uh, So um, the government can establish that its requirement um, is sustained by a compelling interest. And then the last prong of the test, again, looks to whether this is the least restrictive means. And there it would seem like... um, Uh, the government would have a very strong argument that um, employer-issued health care coverage is the norm for most working Americans, and um, there really isn't an alternative way for individuals to get coverage, or at least not an established alternative way for individuals to get coverage for blood transfusions. And that's in... um, 
uh, contrast to the contraceptive case where the government had already set up an alternative regime for uh, employees of not-for-profit religious organizations. It had already set up an accommodation whereby it had um, gotten insurance companies to agree to offer that contraceptive coverage that the not-for-profit organizations didn't want to be funding. Um, the contra- uh, the insurance companies, I'm sorry, now will offer that to um, the female employees of these not-for-profit organizations at no charge at all to the employees and at no charge at all to the religious organization that objects to them. So again, given that this accommodation has already been established for not-for-profit organizations with religious objections to contraception, um, again, like some religious universities, uh, it was very easy for the court and Hobby Lobby to say, you can just use the very same arrangement for um, for-profit corporations that have religious objections to some parts of the contraceptive mandate. Mm-hmm. Now, do you expect there to be, or do you think there needs to be, I guess, a, a, some legislation passed or debated in, in reaction to this decision? Particularly, I guess, maybe when, with relation to the Affordable Care Act? or Right. Um, you know, I would certainly welcome an amendment that uh, guaranteed that women would not be adversely affected by um, religious exemptions to the contraceptive mandate that... Uh, whether it's the government that will pay for the contraception or um, the insurance companies themselves, uh, that there will be a very ready alternative to hand for the women in question. Mm-hmm. Now, you um, had written an opinion piece for the Washington Post back in March about this case, and you noted that the way the healthcare system is structured in the U.S. plays a large part, as does this question of whether corporations can have consciences. Can you talk a little bit about what you see as the interplay between those two? Um, So I don't know that uh, there is an interplay. Um, There has been scholarly commentary to the effect, on the one hand, that corporations can themselves uh, practice religion and have consciences, and on the other hand, commentary that takes that um, line of argument to be completely implausible. Um, My own view is that it isn't relevant uh, because... uh, whether or not the corporation can itself practice religion um, doesn't decide the question of what we should do about the fact that some individuals come to own businesses and they incorporate and those individuals have religious convictions. And it seems to me like a state that takes seriously its obligations to respect religious free exercise has to understand that individuals are not going to want to leave their religious convictions at the corporate office door, as it were. They're going to want to have those convictions respected within the context of their day-to-day work life. Um, So, again, I think the question of a corporate conscience is something of a red herring, but there is this entirely separate issue of how we should go about structuring health care as you note, and uh, uh, you're finding me in Canada today on Canada Day, um, and so I'm uh, perhaps uh, especially drawn to the idea of government-funded health insurance. Um, But one of the virtues of government-funded health insurance is that it just obviates, it completely um, eliminates the need to think about how providing health care coverage might or might not interfere with a person's moral or religious convictions, right? The government is just in charge of administering the whole system. Um, 
And as a result, uh, no one has to feel like their own conscience is implicated in um, conferring health care benefits on employees because they are not, in fact, conferring health care benefits on employees. It's the government that does so. Now, I don't mean for that to be um, a knockdown argument in favor of government-funded health care. There are certainly lots of disadvantages that go along with it. I just mean to identify um, one particular virtue that government-funded health care has. Now, what do you think that this decision will mean for, I guess, either, I guess, for consumers and then also, I guess, for just, you know, rank and file employees of companies? Do you feel like people, this is going to be something that's going to play into people's decisions to work in a particular place or? Um, It might. And I think that depends on, you know, what uh, the government ends up doing in response. Uh, vis-a-vis um, supplementing the coverage that may now be missing where a corporation is granted a religious exemption um, from the contraceptive mandate. So, uh, you know, if, again, the alternative that the government provides is a really convenient and easy one, I don't know that it would affect anyone's decision about where to work. But if there isn't that kind of alternative, I think it might very well affect someone's decision about where to work. Um, I think, you know, it's possible that uh, consumers who object to the decision will uh, vote with their dollars, as it were, or will take their business elsewhere um, where it makes sense to do so. Um, But it's not clear to me that this is the kind of decision that's going to um, elicit so much of a backlash that we're going to see it in consumer preferences. Now, what about employers? Because it's been interesting to me to see some of the coverage where you've got various websites sort of publishing a bunch of the companies that have brought cases up, up related to this issue and kind of like maybe companies that no one would have known what kind of moral values their owners had before this is now all over the internet. I mean, do you think, how do you think that impacts the companies? Or do you also think it plays into a decision of maybe a future employer to try to employ this part of the law? Um, I mean, I think, you know, one of the questions that is going to come up whenever a corporation does seek a religious exemption is, is this, in fact, a corporation that's run according to the owner's religious beliefs, right? Because presumably these corporations are now going to have to pay less in terms of um, health care coverage subsidization than they would have had to pay had they had to cover all of the um, 20 contraceptive methods that uh, would ordinarily fall under the law. So this is uh, companies that... um, are accorded the religious exemption are going to save money. And you wouldn't want it to be the case that some other company that doesn't, in fact, have a genuine religious objection to contraception nonetheless seeks an exemption because it's a money-saving prospect. Um, So, you know, you would want to look to various pieces of evidence that support the company's asserted religious conviction. So, you know, maybe their charter says something about the fact that the company should be run in accordance with the owner's religious beliefs um, or other pieces of evidence the company is closed on or the company's stores are closed on Sundays, for example. Um, 
again, you'd want for the corporation to be organized in such a way that one could um, be confident that it sincerely held the religious beliefs that it's asserting before granting it an exemption. Mm-hmm. Now, um, is there anything else, any other aspects of the case that that I've missed? I mean, anything else you find that's particularly notable? Um, I mean, there are lots of sort of, um, you know, subtleties in the reasoning and things that uh, there's certainly a lot of work for a scholar to be doing in response to the case, but it's not clear um, that uh, those have immediate significant impact. Um, Maybe, you know, the only thing um, or one thing to be said on this score is uh, that the doctrine in the case law as it stands doesn't do a very good job of thinking about how accommodating someone's religious beliefs impacts third parties and what we should do when it does impact a person's, um, or sorry, when it does impact third parties' interests. Um, so, you know, in some of the classic conscientious objection cases, um, an employee is fired from her job, for example, because she doesn't want to work on Sundays, and she's then denied unemployment insurance because um, it's taken to be the case that, you know, it was her decision not to work on Sundays. Um, and then the company is, uh, or sorry, um, she is held to uh, have been denied the um, unemployment insurance um, on grounds that violate the Constitution because she has a free exercise right. Uh, So that's a case, someone's not wanting to work on a Sunday, where it's hard to see how third-party interests are deeply implicated. Um, uh, And that's sort of the classic conscientious objection case. Um, Or, again, someone doesn't want to serve in the military, um, but they're still going to have to do some other kind of service. It's hard to see how someone else is disadvantaged as a result. Um, but these cases really do implicate third-party interests directly, and the dissent is at pains to try to find a way to work um, third-party interests into the analysis, and it's really difficult to do so. And, you know, I think that suggests that there's something wrong with the law because you wouldn't want it to be the case that third-party interests have to completely yield to um, the religious believer's convictions any time the religious believer objects to a particular law, again, that affects third parties. Right. Okay. Thank you so much for talking to us. Um, You're absolutely welcome. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.